Well, greetings. Welcome to The Dividing Line on a Monday. Uh, should we call this the first Monday of the revolution? That, um, that is the question. Um, it has been a very, very, very strange year so far. Very, very strange. I was up there, and then I disappeared. I'm not sure what happened, but was there, then it, then it went bye-bye. Um, 2020 is going to go down in history. There is absolutely, positively no question about that, as one of the strangest, strangest years um, in, uh, in the history books. But uh, we are still here, and uh, I'm going to try to... You're probably tired of watching um, whatever it is you watch. If, if you're watching MSNBC, I'm not sure why you're watching us. <laughs> and I'm not sure that you're still really functional at this particular point in time. But um doesn't matter what you're watching. It's probably getting a little tiresome uh, by now, uh, to be honest with you. So we're going to try to focus upon other things. It's not that there aren't important things to be saying. I've tried to make a few comments here, there, and everywhere that hopefully is helpful. Um, just... For those that are interested, um, we have a curfew here in Arizona now uh, for a week uh, from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. At least, I mean, New York's only 11 to 5, um, which is odd. Um, but I mean, I'm normally the only the only part of that that bugs me is I can't do any long outside rides right now because uh, five o'clock is only half an hour before sunrise. So you're, you're going to get fried if you try to do anything. What? Well, if you look at the fine print, which Ducey is apparently rather fine. Well, I know. It, 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 it excludes religious services. but well, I'm, There's a whole list of stuff that it excludes. Does it exclude long-distance bike riders? I, don't th- I, I think it might. I think ultimately it excludes everything but protesting downtown. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll take a look at it. But anyway, when it, when it was first announced, we're like, oh, great. we got to get all our people home by 8 o'clock. Our, our service starts at 4. And if Jeff breaches, we're doomed. Um, because um, we've been having discussions about this amongst the elders. It, it seems ever since Jeff had those uh, seizures a couple years ago, his internal clock doesn't work anymore. And so uh, five minutes to him is an hour and five minutes to the rest of us. But it just uh, sort of works that way. And uh, so uh, we made the decision that uh, we would move the sermon he was going to do to next week, and the four elders would each speak uh, in a word of encouragement to the congregation. And uh, I, looked at the, uh, I looked at the video today. I did 14 minutes. Uh, Luke did eight minutes. Zach did five minutes. And Jeff did 21 minutes. And Jeff thought he did five minutes. So there you go. There is, there is absolute documented evidence that... Something's not quite right with that boy. So, anyway, <laughs> but uh, you can find that on Facebook, uh, Apologia Studios, if you want to. A lot, a lot of the folks found it very encouraging to have all four elders speaking. And, of course, we addressed different issues and different things. I, I spoke a little bit from, uh, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, from John chapter 14. So, uh, but we, we did want to address the, the fact that there we've... I've been on this earth for over half a century. I've never seen anything like this. Um, there have been rough spots in the past, but never never in the middle of a alleged pandemic. I say alleged because there's new stuff coming out. And look, if that pandemic doesn't explode 
and kill half the population after what's been going on, then we really didn't need to be locked down all that time anyways, because um, those masks that those folks are wearing, they're not wearing it for social distancing. I, I assure you of that. It's it's for the cameras. <laughs> it's... Uh, We've we've made we've made looting and rioting much easier by by, and there are literally people going. Well, at least they're showing concern for others. No, they're not. It's like oh wow, they really let these people on MSNBC. It's interesting. But anyways, I said I wasn't going to do anything about that. So we have a bunch of other stuff to talk about, um, and this is a live program. And so, uh, not very long ago, half an hour ago. Approximately, I started seeing. Uh, I only only got in about forty five minutes ago uh, to the office, and I started seeing something in my uh, my Twitter feed. By the way, I can actually say this uh, out in the open now. Um, I have opened a parlor uh, account. It is um, it's a it's a cross between Facebook and uh, and Twitter. In the sense that you've you do have a limitation on how long you can go, but it's three and a half times Twitter's limitation. So it's a thousand characters, and so you can say a lot in a thousand without doing some of the really 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 long Facebook article type things that that can go for pages and pages and pages. And it's allegedly, for now, uh, dedicated to free speech and non censorship and stuff like that. And I've already got over a thousand uh, followers on on Parler, and so what I've been trying to do is I've been I'll write something on Parler and then I'll link to it because I haven't been wanting to say that on either Facebook or Twitter because I just get a feeling <laughs> just that might not be wise. Uh, they might not really be into you advertising other things on their platforms, especially things that are going to be more free than they themselves are. I suppose. Um, but anyway, it was on Twitter that I saw a conversation taking place that included Zakir Hussein um, from, uh, I think Zakir's in the Birmingham area, at least he was last time that I was over there. Who knows when that's ever going to happen again. But um, Zakir and I have done a couple of debates, and he was asking a Christian apologist on Twitter about Jude 1-4, and he quotes Jude 1-4 as saying, Jude 1-4 mentions the Lord God and Lord Jesus. How can, how can Lord, how can Lords, how I guess it probably, how many Lords do you count here? One, two, or three. Remember you admitted Deuteronomy 6-4 says one Lord, so please tell me how many Lords can you count in Jude 1-4? Thanks. Now, um, this is uh, a the kind of objection that you would sort of uh, expect to get from our Muslim friends. Um, I I I know that Zakir has my book on the Trinity, and if if read it with understanding, would know the answer to this question, but. Um, because obviously the, the term Lord, uh, well, first of all, you'd have to look at what the term Lord is. Normally, it's the term kudios. If it's in the Old Testament, it can be, it can be kudios. It can be, I mean, sorry, uh, Adonai. It can be uh, Yahweh. All depends on the underlying Hebrew. Uh, 
and so there's there's always that question has to come in, and that comes in here in, in Jude one four. In fact, if you if you have your Bible, and if you are one of those who has a Greek New Testament, you might want to look at this. This is a important text. I actually sort of dealt with it a little bit at G3 two years ago when I talked about Jude 5 and the change that has uh, appeared in the translation of the ESV at Jude 5 uh, because of CBGM, Coherent Space Genealogical Methodology, uh, the material that I'm studying in my PhD work, um, slowly at the moment, uh, because that work has been slowed down by everything that's been taking place in the world, too, unfortunately. Anyway, um, the reality that the old reading of Jude 5 was the Lord delivered a people out of Egypt, and now the ESV says Jesus delivered a people out of Egypt. And uh, so I did go back in the context, and I looked at Jude 4 as part of that. So if you want a sort of sermonic discussion, you can go and look that up on the G3 YouTube uh, page. Uh, but what do you have? Well, let's let's take a look at um, what we have in Jude 4. I'm going to move this over here so that I can uh, bring up uh, accordance. And uh, so what you have in the uh, in the NASB, eh, that's, I've got three columns up here. I'll get, get what, rid of one. But anyways, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. So here is, here is the uh, material. And immediately, when you look at uh, Zacher's citation, you see that he has mentions the Lord God and Lord Jesus. And so what he's looking at is the King James Version and specifically the Textus Receptus. The reading the text, Textus Receptus, is extremely poorly testified amongst manuscripts. Uh, there are very, very few manuscripts that read as the TR, and this is primarily because there is an important cluster of variants right at the end of verse 4, and the TR is basically an attempt to sort of um, find a way of navigating through these. Uh, without access to some of the earlier uh, manuscripts that we have uh, that we have today, and so what you what you have, um, let me take the, uh, the Textus Receptus out there and go to this one here, and we'll just take out the commentaries real quick, and then we can blow this up so it's a whole lot easier to see. Ding 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 ding, and ding 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 ding. There you go. All right. So here are the uh, the options at the end of verse four, and uh, in in the Nessialan twenty eighth edition we have and the only despotain from despotas kai kudion hemon yesun kristan arnumenoi so arnumenoi is to deny and so. Uh, they are the ones denying the only master and Lord of us, Jesus Christ. So in the Nessian 28th edition, uh, you have 
one singular description of Jesus. He is described as the uh, manon despotain kai kurion. And this is important because it's the very next sentence where you have, but I would, you know, brethren, um, that Jesus, having once saved a people from the land of Egypt. So, if verse 4 is primarily about uh, Jesus, then that would be consistent in going to verse 5, that we're still talking about Jesus, and the two readings would um, strengthen one another. There would be a consistency in the text at that particular point in time. But over on the right-hand side, you can see the various uh, readings that we, that we have here. And so you have um, our Lord Jesus Christ in P72. Um, then you have the Lord and our Jesus Christ in P78. You have our God and Lord Jesus Christ seemingly in P, Psi, and, and uh, the Byzantine text. And then you have uh, the reading of the Nestle Allen text, and that is uh, our only despot and Lord. Uh, actually, that's not including despotain. We can skip that one. Uh, just simply, and our, our Lord Jesus Christ is the reading uh, that is found in Sinaiticus, Alexandrus, Vaticanus, and a number of the other, uh, unse- well, the un- some of the unseals and, uh, and minuscules, Vulgate, and a few sources like that. So you can see this is an example of where the Byzantine text is giving demonstration of its um, later character. I'm certain that its defenders will you know, can come up with a way to try to get around that, but the mass, vast majority of people would say that this uh, it clearly is one of those places where the Byzantines are later. Uh, a later reading in light of what is uh, already found in the, in the text itself. So what do we have then in uh, in Jude four? Well, it seems that the question that Zacher is asking is based on equivocation regarding the term Lord. So, especially because it uh, takes us back to Deuteronomy six four, and in Deuteronomy six four, uh, in fact, let me let me. Uh, Go there real quick, uh, because it's a it's an important text, and you will notice. Ouch! That um, blow everything up here a little bit for you, including the Greek Septuagint. So Deuteronomy six four, of course, is Shema Shema Yisrael Yahweh Eloheinu Yahweh Echad Shema Yisrael Yahweh Eloheinu Yahweh Echad. And in the Greek, akue Israel, kurias hatheas hemon, kurias heis esten. And so you have the term kurias used twice in the Greek Septuagint translation of Deuteronomy 6.4. And it is translating the same Hebrew word, Yahweh. So there is only one Yahweh. There is only uh, one being of God. And yet... The New Testament writers, and it seems, given the reading of Jude 5, Jude inclu- inclusive in this, 
New Testament writers will use that term and texts that were specifically about Yahweh, of the Father, of the Son, and of course the Spirit of Yahweh is becomes the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. So you have that one special term, Yahweh, being used of three persons who are clearly differentiated from one another. It's, it's very plain that they are not being identified as being identical to one another, and yet there is one Yahweh. So as we have, as Christians have believed, uh, one being of God, Yahweh, shared by three persons who are distinguished from one another, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, when we come into the New Testament, the Greek, it's not really a translation. Kurios is not a translation of Yahweh. Yahweh is a, is a specific name, really. I mean, it has verbal aspects to it of existence and being, probably, but Kurios is not a, a translation or transliteration or anything else, really. It is, it's almost a placeholder in a sense, because there are other words in Hebrew that are translated as Kurios as well. Adonai, Adoni, in its various forms, uh, likewise translated as Kurios. So, we've also seen that that, that Shema, Akue Yisrael, Kurios HaTheos Hemon, Kurios Hais uh, Esten, the Lord is one, is what is behind Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 when he takes that Shema and he expands it out in light of the Incarnation and says that not all men have this knowledge, but for us, there is one God, one Lord, and now in light of the Incarnation, the coming of Christ, the Shema itself is expanded in light of God's own self-revelation that is found there. So, when the question is asked, how many lords are there? Well, if we mean Yahweh, there is only one. Uh, there is only one Yahweh. But that's not what we're looking at when we are looking at uh, Jude 4. Because what we have here is that he is warning about people who are coming into the church and who are changing. They're, they're, the, the whole book is going to be warning about false teachers and he's warning about some of the characteristics of their false teaching. And the result of their false teaching is that they are denying tan manan despatain kai kurian hemon yesun kristan. The one despatain kai kurian. So the two terms are being used as a singular title or descriptive of Jesus. Now, despotain goes back to Old Testament usage, and obviously in English today, despot is not a positive term. Uh, we use despot almost universally in a negative fashion now, uh, but that, that cannot influence our reading of the New Testament. You can't take 21st century English usage of the translation, really, despot is just a transliteration of the Hebrew term despotin, despotas. Um, you can't allow that to influence your understanding of what the term is supposed to mean or something along those lines. That's something that's very, very important to, to emphasize. 
And so you have two words, master and Lord. I mean, you want to, you want to differentiate in your translation. You just don't go Lord and Lord. In other contexts, you could translate this term, despot, as Lord. But since he's using both of them as a descriptive, then the normal process of translation in English is that you're trying to differentiate the terms. And so is there something special about despote? Well, yeah, it normally refers to, to power and authority. Power and authority. Kurios can have the same meaning, but if you're looking for some kind of a difference between the two terms, that's what it would be, is that um, despot would be the exercise of authority, um, the exercise of, of power and, and authority. And it's not, it's not an overly commonly used term, but that might be what the difference is. And so you would have our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ, which would then fit with what we then see in verse 5, because it was Jesus that saved a people out of Egypt, but later destroyed the ones not believing. So I, I mentioned that despot is sovereignty in action, power in action. Well, he saves the people out of Egypt, and then what does he do? He destroys the ones who do not believe. And that's going to become sort of a, a, a paradigm for what's going on in the early church as well, is that there are those who, are, who don't believe, and they are sneaking into the church, and they are perverting the gospel, and they have to be stood up against, and, and so on and so forth. So, the, the text seems to be consistent when you look at that rendering thereof of the fact that you, you don't really have a, an issue here. There, the, the, the question says, you know, how many lords do you count here? Well, you, you count one Yahweh, but you might say that verse 4 says um, changing the grace of God into licentiousness. And so, you know, you do have the appearance of the term Tutheu there, so maybe you might want to see that the, the Father is made reference to there or something. Uh, but, of course, the New Testament is filled with passages where the Father and the Son are mentioned. And the ease with which they are associated with one another is, is just further evidence of exactly what it is we're talking about when we talk about the fact that the New Testament was written by Trinitarians. It was already their common belief. It, it comes out in the way they express themselves. They don't have to stop and go, okay, now let me... Let me explain this new thing to you. No, no, it, it's already the common possession of, of the people. And that's why you don't have those stopping and the explanation and, and so on and so forth. So, here is a situation, uh, leaving the apologetic issue to the side for a moment. Here is a situation where, especially to my fellow ministers, when you are seeking to open this text and preach this text, or if you're just leading a Bible study, on a really, really practical level, you have to remember that everyone's got one of these now. And it's not like, it's not like the old 
eight translation New Testaments that we used to lug around when I was in high school uh, that weighed 47 pounds, but still people have a number of different translations available to them. And you need to recognize that people still use the uh, King James and New King James, which are based upon the Textus Receptus. And therefore, and you might have, even amongst some of the more modern translations, sometimes a translation committee will choose to not slavishly follow the Nessialan text in their translation. And if someone's trying to follow you, and their Bible doesn't say what you're saying, that can ruin everything. And most people don't want to stick their hands up. Maybe in a, in a Bible study they would, but you know, most people aren't going to do that in a church service and go, what are you doing, Willis? <laughs> Where'd you get that? Well, that's how my Bible says. And so they, the, the whole study is completely less, you know, leaves them behind and they don't, they don't hear anything you have to say because, well, they couldn't hear anything you had to say because they're looking at something else going, what, what is this? So you, you always have to take the time to check some other translations and see, especially when you have a cluster of variants as you do here, you have to see what has been rendered in that particular text. Um, so you don't lose anybody in the process. So what does all of that mean? Uh, does seem that there is a pretty consistent way of reading Jude 4 and 5 in a way that's focused upon the centrality of Jesus as Yahweh. He is described as despotain, kaikurion, and then it is said that he delivered a people out of Egypt. And then destroyed the ones who didn't believe. And we know this is what, that, that's what Yahweh did. Uh, and so if Jesus is identified in this way, then that, that helps you understand why Jesus is our only master and Lord, which, of course, no Muslim can ever say. Uh, that this is... And here's, here's, here's the reality. Muhammad never read Jude 4. Zakir, if you have read Jude 4 and even tried doing any digging into it, you've done a whole lot more than your prophet did. He didn't know anything about this. He didn't know it was in there. There's no, you can't show me any evidence that he had any knowledge whatsoever of the actual content of what's in the Injil, what's, what's in the very gospel message itself, what's in the New Testament. He did not have access to that and did not know what was in it. And um, so as a result, ironically, uh, Zakir, what happens is because of that fidelity to Muhammad, then you have to become one of those described here. Now, not described here as in, because who's being described in verse 4 is somebody inside the church. And they're trying to, to change the grace of God into licentiousness and thereby denying our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. But because of your higher authority in the text of the Quran, you end up being an Arnumenoi, one of those denying uh, our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And um, that's the whole issue. That's, that's the whole subject right then and there. So, Little Book of Jude has been 
analyzed in the CBGM uh, methodology. And so that's why, as I said, Jude 5, the reading has um, been altered in... And again, some of our Muslim friends and others misunderstand that I can go back to um, the earliest printed editions of the Greek New Testament that gave variation, and you will see that we've known for a very, very long time that there were manuscripts in uh, existence of the book of Jude uh, that said Lord and manuscripts that said um, Jesus. We've known this for a long, long time. It's not like you, know, you just decided to make something up one day. This is, this is a variant that has been known of for a very, very long time. And then the analysis of that text in the CBGM said that basically the manuscripts, when you look at the manuscripts as a whole that say Jesus and compare them with the manuscripts that say Lord, the manuscripts that say Jesus have a higher coherence than the manuscripts that say Lord. The closest relatives to the manuscripts that say Jesus, as far as the stream of transmission is concerned, also say Jesus. But the ones that say Lord, their closest relatives sometimes say, say, say Jesus. So the change has gone one direction. It was easier for a scribe when copying this to write Lord than it would have been Jesus, because it was easy to say the Lord delivered the people out of Egypt. It's exactly how you'd normally say it. Jesus delivered the people out of Egypt. That's, that's more of a challenge. That's more of a challenge. Uh, and that's why the scribes did what they did. So there is some information and uh, the first half hour of the program brought to you by a current Twitter uh, discussion. Now, this is nice. Chris Williams, a uh, good guy to follow on, um, on Twitter as well. And he just posted a picture of Nick Needham's uh, four-volume 2,000 Years of Christ's Power and said, Wife blessed me with this set. This is back on uh, May 5th. And then he just said, Finished the first two volumes since this post. Halfway done. I'll have to uh, see what I'm going to do here, Chris, is I'm going to do this neat little screen grab thing. And uh, if I can remember, hopefully I can remember, I will send that to Nick and go, hey, Nick, look, we're reading. (laughs) Some of you saw that, uh, man, that seems like a long time ago. It was early December, wasn't it? Um, Seems like a lifetime ago. I... uh, Popped over to uh, to London, and then uh, took a sleeper train, the, the Caledonian sleeper train, uh, from London to up to uh, Inverness, where Nick Needham is, and uh, surprised him. Knocked on the door. He didn't expect me to be coming. And uh, Nick is a dear brother. He's uh, he's a good friend. I hope he's doing well up there. Um, they are locked down in a way that. Americans just wouldn't allow it. We just, we just, we just wouldn't do it. So it's um, hopefully things are getting better. I don't know. Anyway, it's been a, been a little while since I chatted with, uh, with Nick. But uh, it's good to see Chris is reading. Uh, if you'd like, Chris, I might be able to ask Nick to uh, come up with uh, you know, like some, some quizzes for you, uh, something like that to look at, um, you know, if you want to check out uh, that kind of stuff. <laughs> It's almost, have you noticed, it's, it's almost a little frightening to scroll through um, Twitter or Facebook for what you're 
afraid you're going to see, you know, some other building or some horrific beating or something going on. Um, yeah, it's um, you're almost afraid to go new messages. Well, OK, no, ooh, I'm not sure I wanted to see that. Um, yeah, somebody asked me if you tried Gab. Actually, I, I did when it first started and then everybody came down to me like a ton of bricks because if you go to Gab, you're automatically a white supremacist or something. Um, so I haven't been back over there. Um, hmm. I'm going to have to minimize this stuff. Um, it's because that's not my understanding of what happens in airplanes. But uh, anyway, uh, okay. Um, there is a, um, I thought I'd just, I thought I'd mention this real quick. There is an article out that's fascinating. Um, coronavirus may be a vascular disease. May be a vascular disease. <laughs> um, there is a, a study that is talking about the prevalence of blood clots in um, in the deaths that have been uh, analyzed. And um, I'm not going to go into details about it. I did. I think I retweeted it. At least I, I hope I did. Um, but uh, check it out. Uh, see if you can track it down. And if that's the case, then that changes everything as far as... Um, uh, inoculations, vaccines, everything. If it's if it's not actually a uh, primarily respiratory thing, that changes that changes the whole story, and it also changes how you might want to best uh, treat it for obvious reasons. If it's a vascular thing, then we've got all sorts of drugs that help with that that no one was really thinking about using because it's sort of like, well, why would you? Well, if it's actually a uh, a vascular disease rather than a respiratory disease, then you you might think along those lines. I think we're going to be finding out a lot about it in the future. Um, I think we I think we are. I just I continue to be very very concerned that there is going to be some kind of an insanity that says that you have to take certain drugs, be shot up with certain things um, to, to ever be able to travel or do anything again in the future, and um, I am concerned about that. Far more concerned about something that you may or may not have heard of. But here's where the biblical worldview comes into um, conflict with where we are right now. Have you heard of something called deep fakes? Deep fakes. I first ran into this stuff um, maybe last year, maybe the year before, I forget. Uh, and you may have seen some of these where especially the supercomputing power that they're working on and developing, especially when it comes to artificial intelligence, things like that, you can literally change people's faces and um, morph people in video into somebody else. And they, it looks, it really looks like that person. It's not the cheesy Photoshop stick somebody's face on somebody else's face type thing that you can always tell. Um, 
according to this article, they are making such fast strides in this technology that it's not going to be long. Well, that actually they're actually having to now develop technology to try to detect it. It's getting so good. It was was, for a while. You could just sort of look at it and go, Oh, there's some flickering there. the, The light's not quite right, but now you can't really do that anymore. And so they're, they're actually companies starting up websites, starting up where they will go into in-depth analysis to try to recognize the deep fake. But most of them recognize that there's a limitation, not to the deep fakes, but to the recognition of the deep fakes. Now, the article goes into the obvious problem with this. Um, The obvious problem with this is that you can accuse anyone of anything, put them anywhere, and all of a sudden your eyes say, yeah, he said these words, Uh, he insulted this person, he confessed to having done this. Uh, That's him going into that place of ill repute. That's him buying those drugs. And there have already been situations. There was a um, small country, I'd never even heard of it, a small country um, sort of over in the Balkans someplace. Um, I think it was, was. I forget where it was, but there was a small country where uh, there's sort of a despotic leader and uh, then he sort of dis- disappeared. It's sort of like what happened with, uh, with the guy in North Korea for a while. Hadn't seen him for a while. And then when a picture was released, everyone's going, is that really him? I'm not so sure. Is someone trying to, someone trying to fake us out here or what? Well, what happened was the guy seemed rather robotic, rather different than normal. And so someone started saying, that's a deep fake. That's, that's not real. And it led to a coup attempt. Now, it failed, and the guy was alive, and he's still in power. But the point is, it, it led to a coup attempt, the rumor that that was a deep fake. Um, and so when you think about that, I'm not just talking about the dystopian movies where they're able to clone you or make someone that looks like you and gets you into all this, all that trouble. Or uh, I'm right here. What I'm talking about is the necessity for us to understand the wisdom of God in the Christian worldview and in his law. Uh, Okay. I, I can name four people that are right now heading for the keyboard Oh no! Um, but listen, listen to what I'm saying. We have sought to emphasize the fact that one of the problems that we are facing in our society right now—that that right right now—I follow some people on Twitter who are radically sold out to the social justice model and to the social justice worldview. And 
as a result, they are, of course, interpreting everything that's going on in the world right now in light of that social justice model. And they want a new nation. They're not even, they're not even hiding it. For them, the age of the Constitution of the United States is finished. Uh, there needs to be a new nation. Tear it all down so you can build something new. That's, that's what you're seeing in our streets right now. Tear it all down, build something new. Build something new based upon a completely different worldview, too. And that social justice model, one of its primary problems is the issue of what justice itself is. And the fact that once you have a secular worldview, once you have a secular mindset, justice has to be something that is done now in this life right now because it cannot be done after this life. So so once you don't have a <coughs> once you don't have a perspective that will allow you to see eternity and a day of judgment because our legal system was designed in a worldview where the vast majority even though those who weren't necessarily Christians still imbibed and functioned upon the idea that there would be a day of reckoning. There would be a day of judgment. That the secrets of men's hearts will be laid bare. That we, it did, our Constitution could never have been written after Darwin. Our, our system of law could never have been put together after Darwin. But it was before Darwin. And so those who wrote it, those who envisioned it, recognized that justice should be sought in this world, but would not always be obtained in this world. And so they borrowed from biblical law key concepts such as due process. You can't just simply, it, it was always wrong, it was always illegal, it was always immoral for a mob to take the law into their own hands and bring about execution. String them up. That was lawlessness. Due process is a mechanism to protect the innocent first and foremost. Because, as we all know, due process can lead to guilty people being freed. Something wasn't done right, law wasn't followed, evidence wasn't collected right, and we can all think of at least one instance in our most of our lives, uh, if you're over 30, um, where the system didn't work and the murderer went free. Well, he eventually got caught for something else, but still, the murderer went free. 
our system does that because it was based upon the idea that it is worse to imprison an innocent man than it is to let a guilty man walk free. And that's why I, I saw a um, uh, America's Got Talent clip where a black man had been imprisoned for 37 years. I think it was 37 years. And then DNA evidence cleared him. And he sang beautifully, sang a song. And, you know, everybody was just, you know, in tears and, and, and everything else, especially for the 37 years of his life that was taken. The presumption of innocence and due process, where'd that come from? It did not come from a, a Darwinian worldview. There is no basis for that in Marxism. There is no basis for that in any socialistic system at all. The worldview that gave rise to that is the Christian worldview. But what that means then is, within the Christian worldview, that makes sense. It makes sense that the guilty will sometimes get away, for now. But they will never, ever get away in the end. That's, how, that's why the Bible can say, will not the judge of all the earth do right? It, 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 the answer is assumed. Yes, the judge of all the earth will do right. It's the way it is. I have pointed out many times that it is the confusion that now exists in our land. We are in a transition. We're transitioning from the last remnants of a Christian worldview to the secular worldview. And that changes everything. I've argued that our Constitution... In light of the words of John Adams, wise man who in 1798, 10 years after the Constitution was ratified, said in the letter that the Constitution was designed to rule a moral and religious people, and it is not capable of ruling a people who are not moral and religious. We are not a moral and religious people any longer. We murder babies. Or up to the point of birth. We have leaders in our country today that will vote against pieces of legislation that say that if a baby is born alive after a botched abortion, that you must give it aid. They will vote against that. The entire Democratic Party votes against that because the entire Democratic Party is owned by Planned Parenthood. So... We are not a moral and religious people any longer. And therefore, we are in this transition where the old idea was you protect the innocent. And that means sometimes justice is not done in this life because it will be done in the next. And therefore, you have satisfaction knowing that there's going to be no injustice, no injustice that ever goes unpunished, to now, we've got to do it in this life, right now. Because if that person dies and they are not punished, there will never be any punishment for that crime. And hence, when the Me Too movement started a couple years ago, Kavanaugh hearings. How many people did you hear saying, 
Doesn't matter if a bunch of white guys have got to go to prison. You got to catch them all. Doesn't matter if innocent guys got to go to prison. Got to catch them all, you see. And there are people literally saying that. That's what happens when, as a culture, you lose any connection whatsoever to a final day of judgment. So, what does all this have to do with deep fakes? It's the standard of evidence. Because, remember, two or three witnesses, and they have to be, you have to be able to cross-examine them. Well, how does that work in cyberspace? I mean, let's just, let's, let's just admit it. Most Christians would say that the electronic age is just too much for Scripture to handle. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. How, what, how many Christians would go, yeah, yeah, we've, we've got to... We, we have to look someplace other than to God and His law for this one. Because you know, now that we have computers, that's just a whole new thing. Well, I could point out that God knew that computers were going to exist, unless you're an open theist, and then all bets are off anyways. But the reality is that I have been saying for a long time now that we have to be very, very, very careful about accepting unimpeachable and uncross-examinatable, uncross-examinable, maybe, um, witness in matters of legal issues, accusations, whatever else it might be. So, we already know that there have been people who have been framed by someone hacking their computer and putting stuff on their computers that weren't supposed to be there. So, there was a woman, worked for the government, somebody managed to stick stuff on her computer, they come busting in, they take the computer, aha! That kind of thing has always frightened me to death. I hate those movies like uh, The Fugitive. That was a good movie because there was good actors in it. I mean, that was, that was, that was well done. What? I don't know about that, but the one with Tommy Lee Jones and, uh, and uh, Harrison Ford, I think. Wasn't it Harrison Ford? I think it was. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I don't like those things. I don't like the injustice of people being framed for things they didn't do. Even though in that movie, of course, the end, we all got the bad guy and everybody was happy and blah, blah, blah. But that kind of utilization of electronics, look, sometimes my computer will do something weird. And I honestly go, what just happened? Did, Did I just get hacked? Has someone just gotten into my computer? Phones, oh, oh, yeah, well, a phone's a computer. Phones and stuff like that, it's just like, and the vast majority of us, I, I know a few of these ultra geeks out there that might be able to defend themselves, but they are few and far between. And especially now with this deep fake stuff, can you imagine how that's going to be used? Can you imagine 
the accusations. You're, we're getting to a point where you're not going to be able to believe your own eyes. Because, yeah, I'm watching a video where someone's doing something bad, and it looks like that person, but I know about deep fake technology now. So how can I trust it? Oh, exactly. Or it's you that's being framed, obviously. Um, that's why we have a standard in Scripture. Two or three witnesses, and they, you have to be able to cross-examine them. You have to be able to ask them questions. I can't ask that video file questions. And right now, could someone still cast doubt upon a deep fake? Uh, yeah, but how much longer? Probably not long. Can someone do a perfect deep fake now? Maybe. That can be done with voice. That can be done with image. You know, we've all been going, man, CGI is getting so incredible anymore. You don't even need actors anymore. Ah, right. That's the point. How are we supposed to do that? A just society is going to say that's not, that can't be used as evidence. And you go, but, 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 no. You can't, you can't protect the innocent from that kind of evidence. They can't cross-examine it. They can't. The vast majority of us do not possess the technical training to be able to determine whether our computer has been hacked. And I'm going to tell you one thing. Once the government takes my phone, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't trust them. I just, I'm sure there's some wonderful people that work in those places, but I don't trust them. I don't have any reason to trust them. Um, we're in the middle of the exposure of real collusion um, in spying on the last presidential election. How are you supposed to trust those things? No, you, you don't. You use the biblical standard. Well, people can get away with stuff. Well, they got away with stuff before but they're not going to get away with it forever. This life, I mean, the, the biblical perspective is, this is a short life. You, you, you flourish in the morning, you're gone by the evening. It's, it, they don't get away with it forever. It may look like that to us, because time goes by us rather slowly, but not for God. And judgment will be done. The truth will be made known. And it's, God's going to make sure that at the end, every single thing has been punished in pure justice. Pure justice, either in Christ or in the person bearing the punishment of their own sin. But as I read through this thing, and by the way, uh, if you're, this, is, this is at Forbes.com if you want to look for it. Forbes.com. Deep fakes are going to wreak havoc on society. We are not... Oh. We are not prepared. Rob Toe's contributor. Uh, if you want to look it up. And he's right. We aren't prepared. We aren't prepared. And my, my position for quite some time, even before I learned about deep fakes, was if it's electronic, I can't trust it. Because it can be faked. It can be altered. The numbers can be changed. The 
Digital signatures can be changed, blah, 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 blah. I mean, just recently, within the past month, I heard of someone that the government finally cracked an iPhone. And they were really angry because it took them so long to do it because Apple wouldn't help. But they did get it. They've done it. So if they've done that one, I figure once they take your computer from you or your phone from you or whatever, they've got you because they can, they can do whatever they want. And how would you ever know? You couldn't. There's no way to cross-examine. There's no way to cross-examine. Yeah. How many times have we talked about this thing listening to us? You know? Oh, yes, and, yes, and, yes, and yes. And the fact that I never put the word or the concept into this thing or on my computer, but somehow, some way, my trip to or my thinking about my trip to Home Depot and what I need to get at Home Depot, suddenly I start seeing ads on Facebook for that thing that I never put a thing in here for. You just need to get a tighter-fitting tinfoil cap. I do, and a designer one at that. But the idea that if they can take words that we enunciate where Alexa's listening or this thing's listening, you can... I shot uh, Alexa, by the way. You What's that? You shot, I shot Alexa. Oh, good for you. Uh, the, the idea that they can uh, plant that word and then suddenly it appears in your feed... And now that's part of who you are. Yeah. It really well, is. The, what I'm hearing from the experts is this, is this is the big thing about Huawei, the 5G stuff from the Chinese company, is that China, artificial intelligence runs on data. And the more data it has, the better it can be. And so they're vacuuming everyone else's data. They want data on everyone. It's not so much that they want... They, they really don't care about breaking into your bank account and stealing your money. That, that's irrelevant to them. But the more data they have, the more predictive capacity to AI they can come up with. And that the next wars will be run by AI. Because that can think a whole lot faster than we can. And they can predict exactly what the other side's going to do, and they win. And that's scary. That's I mean, because... I would love to sit here and go, isn't it wonderful what we're going to be able to do in the future with all this technology? But I've got Romans 1 through 3 in my Bible, and that keeps you sober. And that that TV series from a few years ago where the machine is now tapping into all the cameras and is following you around and... Now we've well, got that's, that's what China is already. Yeah, it's already happening. It's yeah. already unfolding. And then... At some point in time, there's nowhere to go. Yeah, there isn't. Yeah, that's already happening. That's 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 the problem. Um, and the the fact is that uh, the number of people, even right now online, that are defending uh, behavior on the part of looters and rioters and everything else. What what happens? when it all starts coming apart. Well, eventually the people cry out for a strong authoritarian response. I want to be able to get some food. Maybe I can't get the foods I used to get, but I've got to at least get something in my belly. And you give up all your freedoms, you give up all your liberties, so as to have control. Well, 
what does a strong authoritarian system look like today? It's going to be electronic. It's going to use AI. It's going to have cameras everywhere. It's what China is today. And China's moving on Hong Kong. China's going to move on Taiwan. And there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing we can do about it. We haven't kept up in the ways we've needed to keep up. We needed to have a certain size Navy. We don't have a certain size Navy. Yeah, we've still got a few advantages, maybe, in some areas. But right now, the president was locked in his bunker last night. Did you hear about that? The president had to go into the bunker last night because of what was going on outside the White House. That's how distracted we are. We have a civil war going on in the streets of our major cities. The vast majority of us haven't seen any of it. That's why it doesn't seem real to us. It's like, well, I see it on this little screen here, and that looks terrible, but movies look the same way. So, is this real? Is this really happening? And you may be convinced, yes, it's really happening. That These people are beating these other people with skateboards and... Antifa's running around, and uh, churches are being burned down, historic churches are being burned down, libraries, all the rest of this kind of stuff. But I don't see it. It's not happening in my neighborhood. I mean, you all saw the thing last night. I'm sure you all saw it. I mean, has there ever been a single tweet that has been distributed around the nation faster than the Antifa tweet last night that said it's time to go into the suburbs, into the white suburbs, and take what's ours. Now, I don't know if that was real. In fact, when I wrote about it, I said, this strikes me as not being real, because that seems really obvious, but let's say that it is. You know, that's when all of a sudden, you know, when I start hearing gunshots in my neighborhood that are not the local drug deal gone south, which I have heard. I think it was six months ago or so. Um, I heard like five, six shots, rapid fire, two people dead. About, I don't know, third of a mile away, somewhere around there. Um, When I started hearing that, and there are crowds of people throwing Molotov cocktails at houses and cars... All of a sudden, it gets real, 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 real fast. Now, that hasn't really happened yet. And around here, that would not be a wise thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Scottsdale Fashion Square. Yeah, yeah. Well, that bled out from from something else that attracted them. My neighborhood, no one's going to go in there. First of all, it's not a white neighborhood. It's everything. It's completely mixed. Um, and it's not high-end. And so even if you broke into somebody's house, what are you going to end up with? A five-year-old TV that's out of date? You know, it's not going to get anything out of that. But the real reason they're not doing it, it's because most of us are very heavily armed in Arizona. And so we're going to fight back. I, I mean, it, here, here's my thinking on this. If you have a Molotov cocktail in your hand, there is no difference between that and a gun. 
None. That's, that is a deadly weapon. Ask anybody in a tank if a Molotov cocktail is not a deadly weapon. It is a deadly weapon. And so if you're rearing back to throw a Molotov cocktail at my house, um, I can take you out right then and there, drop you like a stone, and that will be a just action. And all of you sitting out there, all of you people sitting out there saying, oh, no, you need to understand all the angst and the, all the hurt. No, I don't. Because I have not been convicted of a capital crime. And therefore, if someone tries to kill me, the just and righteous thing to do, biblically, is the defense of my life. I'm going to defend my wife. I had my grandkids over over the weekend. I'm going to defend those little boogers. And if you rear back with anything in your hand that could explode when it hits my house, I'm taking you down. And that is the righteous, just thing to do. And if you're going to try to argue that, you better get your Bible out. You better get your Bible out. And it better not be filled with marks. And it better not be based upon some type of stupid neo-Marxist intersectionality. The scriptures make it very, very plain. Evildoers are to be punished. And if you are seeking... Somebody was even... I, I was going to cue this up. Someone even asked me earlier today. Someone had been quoting from... I think it was... Let me see if I can find it again. Um, well, it wasn't on this computer, so I probably wouldn't probably... But... Um, yeah, Exodus 22 too. Someone was saying, if the thief is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on his account. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltiness on his account. He shall surely make restitution. If he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. And they were saying, somehow, they were saying, this means that you, you should not defend property in a way that would cause the death of someone. And I'm like, you, you want to read that to me again and explain that to me? Because the thief, if the thief is caught while breaking in, so this is a, a thief, this is a criminal, breaking into someone's home and is struck so that he dies. So, you know, you use a sword, you use a staff, you use a, the ancient equivalent of a baseball bat, whatever. Someone's trying to get through the door and you let them have it, and they die. There will be no blood guiltiness on his account. Well, what's blood guiltiness? <laughs> Who in this culture even knows anymore? Blood guiltiness had to do with, remember the cities of refuge? Oh, that requires reading Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and that they don't, <laughs> when people read through the Bible anymore, it's, uh, you know, somewhere in Genesis they get lost in January. Um, Cities of refuge, if, if you killed someone accidentally, this still brought blood guiltiness, and you had to go to a city of refuge. While you're in the city of refuge, then the relatives could not punish you, could take your life for the life that you had taken. Um, these were established so that innocent people 
could have their lives saved, but recognizing that we live in a fallen world and sometimes bad things happen. Remember the axe head that falls out? You're sitting there, you're sitting there chopping wood. You swing that baby back. It comes off. Swing, zoom, zoom, boom, kills, kills your friend. Well, you can say all you want. I didn't mean to. But if you're the only two people there, how does anybody know? So these cities of refuge are set up, and you flee the city of refuge. There's still a, there's still a result. You, you live in a city of refuge now. Um, that's not a whole lot of fun, but you still get to live. So blood guiltiness would be something that the entire people, the whole land, was accountable for. Can you imagine the blood guiltiness in our land right now? Can you even, can you imagine it? I mean, this is a really serious topic in God's law. And we don't even think about it anymore. It's not taught about. No one says anything about it. And yet, how many people? We, we, uh, I, I was out at the abortion mill on Saturday, and before I got there, there had been two ladies had been turned away. That's great. Uh, we're, we're seeing literally thousands of babies saved around the world um, through that type of ministry. But many others continue to lose their life. Planned Parenthood is not hurting financially. And so the blood guiltiness that comes from that is astonishing. So God could just let anybody, even if it, if it ever crosses your mind, well, God would never let China do anything to us because those are communists. They're evil. Ever heard of the Assyrians in Israel? The Assyrians were the most barbaric people in the ancient world. And God used the Assyrians to punish his own people for their covenant unfaithfulness. So, yeah. And so if this whole land disappeared in a radioactive haze, there would be no basis for anyone to say, oh, that's not fair. That wasn't just. Yes, it was. See, we never thank God for being as long-suffering and patient as he is. That's why we don't, that, that's, that's the primary reason why uh, biblical scholars today, unbelieving biblical scholars, don't believe the flood story. It's not that it's all that difficult for God to do what the Bible says he did. God created this world. He can do with it as he wishes. It's the why. It's the why part. You mean he killed millions of people because they became utterly depraved in their behavior. Yes, he did. And look at, look at even Christian apologists. Even Christian apologists blush and are so embarrassed by the stories from the Old Testament about what God did in the destruction of the Amorites or the Jebusites or whoever else it might be. That was wiping out a whole people. If he had done it by an earthquake, would you, have, would you have found that to be somehow better? God has the right to bring judgment upon sinners. And he does in many different ways. He does in many different ways. So, blood guiltiness. So, the first verse. So, you strike the guy, and he dead. he's dead. That's it. 
but if the sun has risen on him. So in other words, if he survives, he's knocked out cold, but the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltiness on his account. Now, some, my assumption is that what people were saying is that, well, no, if, if you can see him because it's light out, then you can't strike at him. In the dark, it was one thing. No, that's not the point. Because what does the rest of the verse say? There will be blood guiltiness on his account. In other words, he committed a sin that has brought blood guiltiness. He is a thief. He shall surely make restitution. If he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. Who's the his? Who's the he? It's not the homeowner. It's the thief. Because it says, shall be sold for his theft. So there's nothing here about the homeowner in trouble at all for doing anything. The point is that if he lives, then there's going to have to be dealing with his blood guiltiness. He will have to make restitution. And that's how it should be, by the way. And if he owns nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So there's two ways restitution can be done. You could work. I mean, if you, if you possessed goods, then your goods would be taken away and given to the person that you, were, that you had wronged. If you didn't have anything, then you would be sold into slavery. You would have to work for that person. There were no prisons. Because this, he shall be sold for his theft, does not mean he shall be made a slave in a cage, which is how we do it. No, you not have to work for that person. That person will get to get their restitution from your labor. That's what quote-unquote prison was. Now, then you had the Jubilee, and that changed a lot of things. But the point is, this is one place where we are far, far away from the thinking of God's law at this point. Far, far away. Now, we have these prisons where we're supposedly rehabilitating. Oh, yeah, rehabilitating. Right, that's, that's normally what happens, right? Basically, we have institutionalized slavery in prison cells, in cages. And people who have been hurt by others, they don't get any restitution. Instead, they get taxed to help pay for these people. And in some states, some of those people can then get sex change operations and then be transferred from the men's prison to the women's prison. That's sheer insanity. That is such a mockery that, again, if, if a, a culture that could be that evil, that perverted, that... Ugh, isn't wiped off the face of the planet, then, wow. Anyway, so, so yeah, I, people were actually trying to find a way to justify, hey, if, if they come at your house in the front, you just need to run out the back and just hope for the best. 
That's that's what the Bible says. No, that's not what the Bible says. That is not what the Bible says at all. And that's not what Exodus 22 is talking about either. Um, so what we're seeing, uh, oh, by the way, I did I not save this? Uh, where'd it go? There it is. Um, yeah, there it is. I did save it. Yay. I have not said a whole lot about Ed Stetzer on this program. I really haven't. Um, Big Eva and the powers that be. The fact of the matter is, some of my friends will tell you, we've never fit into the Big Eva power structure, okay? We, no, we scare Big Eva. We've scared Big Eva for decades because we're small. We don't really owe anybody anything because no one came along and gave us what we've got. We just built it up over time and the Lord has blessed what we've done and so we don't do a lot of networking. It's not like the, we, we try to be standoffish, but I need to be able to say what I need to say when I need to say it in the way that I need to say it. And so I need to be able to criticize people. But at the same time, obviously, obviously, I get a lot of heat for not attacking certain people um, or being willing to say good things about people that I also also criticize them for other things. And, and we just don't fit into a neat, nice little box for people. And so that scares people, scares them a lot. But I've never been one of those people that tries to network and tries to, you know, ingratiate myself to people and stuff like that. It's just, it just doesn't fit where we're going. And, and sometimes I actually sort of keep it a little bit of a, of a distance from folks just so that I don't cause them too much trouble if they do have me in to speak or something. They like what I have to say, and, and, and that's great, fine, and wonderful. But um, so I don't get into all the big names all the time. Um, I'll say some things. But Ed Stetzer, big name, big Eva, big influence in the SBC has held some pretty powerful positions. And very obviously he was the one that moderated the three or four on one thing that Vody was involved with back in like 2014. And you could tell then that if he was an airplane, he'd have two left wings. Um, you could just, and you, you can just see, just like with so many of the people in TGC anymore, that they want to say more socially justice -y things, but they, I don't know, hide it under sort of a cloak. Well, he came straight out on May 30th. And so here's, here's what he wrote on Twitter. He said, uh, do you want me to... Yeah, why not? Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, he says, it, it's a good thing these riots are starting so I can again blame black people for the mistreatment they receive. 
dash lots of folks on Twitter who are really uncomfortable having to acknowledge the police brutality that killed George Floyd. But now their narrative is safe again. Now you'll notice before we bring it down, um, I responded publicly and it says, this is truly disgraceful. It assumes anyone who holds a bibl- to biblical categories of justice, which condemns anarchy and lawlessness, holds evil in their hearts, not based upon Christian principles, but upon social justice principles derived from the world. Mark this well. Um, this was a mean-spirited, nasty, mind-reading of everybody else, a willingness to attribute to them a racist attitude, real racist, not the, not the fake racism of today, but real racist attitude. And that's, that's how these guys do it. The Christian guys have to do it this way. They have to hearken back to a meaningful definition of racism to make an accusation of sin. But then you, when, you, when you've done that, then you can run back and use the modern definition of racism as long as you're not accusing somebody of it or really want to make somebody feel guilty about it, then you have to go back to the original. And what I mean by that is racism involves animus in the heart, but racism as it's used today is purely an existence category. It's ontological. If you're white, you're a racist because of power. So, oh, and I forgot to grab this guy's stuff. I, oh man, see, too much, too much been going on. But some of you saw, I had a back and forth uh, right after the dividing line on Friday. And I was going to over the weekend, but we had the girls. So um, when, when you got the grandkids, it's so much more fun than trying to find old tweets on Twitter. Um, no, no toys about that. But um, there's this fella, I, had, I don't know how he had seen my tweet or how we had crossed paths or whatever it might be, but he took some shot. And, and when your first response to me is to call me a white supremacist, I know where you're coming from. Okay. I know truth is not high on your priority list, but this guy is an MDiv student someplace, a Baptist who is actually fi- doing fill in pastoral work for some kind of liberal Presbyterian church. And we went back and forth a couple times, and it, it took two tweets before he is just saying, and no, I'm a black man in America. I can't be a racist. Once you have that definition, once you have a definition to where racism is no longer a sin, because if he can't be a racist, then it's not a sin, because all men can sin. That is a sin that he plainly is slave to. He really is. He's enslaved to it. Biblical slavery. He's enslaved to the sin of racism. But he's actually bought a narrative that makes him feel like, I can't be a racist. Can't be a racist. Because I don't have the power to be. Um, there is a perfect illustration. And I've said on this program before, I remember the first time I heard someone make that argument. It was on the Michael Medved show. It was minimally a decade and a half ago, maybe more. I remember I was driving somewhere near South Mountain. I was either going to or from South Mountain. And here was this person on the Michael Medved show. 
making the argument that it was impossible for them to be a racist because they're black and blacks can't be racist. And it was the standard power stuff. And of course, he's a, a big James Cone guy. I mean, he was his detestation of me as a Caucasian flowed from his reading of Cone and then Cone's children. So it's not, it's, it, you don't have to read just Cone. Cone has unfortunately uh, produced many who then repeat the poison, just ad, nom, ad, ad, hom, ad nauseum, ad hominem, ad nauseum over and over again. Um, but yeah, I'd have to, did you, were you able to find it? Because it was literally, I remember typing, I wish I had seen this before the end of the program. So it was right smack dab at the end of the program. Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to dig through my, and that's, that's one of the problems of these, <laughs> trying to find stuff in Twitter or Facebook is somewhat frustrating. But I was going to pull those things up just, just as an illustration, but I think we've already you know, covered it well enough to, to understand this is the type of stuff that we're facing out there right now. And I remember when the virus was wall-to-wall, 24-7 news a few weeks ago. And I saw some of my friends saying, where'd all the social justice warriors go? All of a sudden, they're not saying anything. Uh, They were just filling up their backpacks, getting ready for the trips to Minneapolis or wherever else they wanted to go to start trouble. Um, They hadn't gone anywhere. Nothing had changed. All they were counting on was that those lockdowns were going to create more and more angst, more and more panic, more and more fear. And therefore, when it when the top blew, it was going to blow and blow big. And it's blowing big. And you might ask, well, do you what do you pray for in a situation like this? Well, Scripture tells us that we desire God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven that we work toward that. We do that through the proclamation of the gospel and bring the lordship of Christ to bear in every aspect of human existence. What that is requiring us to do now, I don't know if you saw it. I, I've, I've linked it to three, about three different people who um, came after me. And in fact, check this out. Check this out. Brian Loritz. Brian Lawrence, a well-known uh, social justice guy, um, uh, posted the, the entire picture of Chauvin on, you know, kneeling, killing a man right there. He's killing a man. And he says, this is why I didn't sign that social gospel statement. It was so easy to refute. I just, I just simply quoted straight from it, from one of the earliest sections, completely demonstrating that it says that this was murder. But that's the, that's the, this is the, the kind of, of social justice type thinking. You can take that down because I just minimized it. Um, that, is, uh, that is out there. It's divisive. It's, it's not thoughtful. Uh, it's damaging. And it didn't go away. It was just waiting for its next opportunity to erupt. And being locked down, locked down a lot of stuff. But that lockdown also then increased the kind of fuel that is needed. So 40 million people out of work, 
jobs destroyed, freedoms destroyed, frustrations at a max. And all it needed was a was the right match. And of course, lots of organization. I mean, you literally have buses pulling up with protesters getting out and pallets of bricks being anonymously left here, there, and ever. It People with earwigs directing people places. This is not spontaneous. This is a fundamental attack upon the United States. And I don't know what the result's going to be. I don't know what the result's going to be. But I know that wherever God has his people, we have one duty, one job. We are to worship him. We are to raise up our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, which includes the fact that it doesn't matter what government, what you all try to install. If it's Constitution 2.0, if it's whatever, it's under the lordship of Jesus. And as much as it annoys as, as it annoys you, we're going to tell you about it. We're going to tell you about it, and that's just all there is to it. What? So I found that um, his name is Richard Hughes, and he is a preaching pastor of St. James Presbyterian Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, and he, uh... but he's actually a Baptist. No, I read it. He, if you if you go to his thing, he's actually a Baptist. He's just filling in, and he's an MDiv student. So he's not a seminary grad yet. Right. And I'm not sure what seminary he's going is, to. Is, is that, I didn't is take that, the time to I can't to tell. Through. Is that Wake Forest? Probably. Wake, that would explain wake, a lot. Wake Div. M, wake, I can't tell. Anyway. That would explain a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to grab those and read them, but we, we, covered, we covered most of it. So, so that's good. That's good. All right. So I, um, at some point this week, once again, I'm going to do another solar show. By the way, we have a solar flare. We have a sunspot. We have a flare going on right now. We're finally going to have something to look at. Well, it's supposed to be happening. It's, it's, it's not happening much, but it was, it was going down. So I'm hoping it'll still be visible later on this week. So sometime this week, I need to uh, be out um, in Mesa uh, with the homeschool kids. Believe you me, it'll take me a few weeks just to get through all the homeschool kids we have at our church. <laughs> If you ever listen to any of the sermons, you will hear the age-appropriate vocalizations um, coming from the, uh, from the uh, audience uh, fairly regularly. Uh, so it's going to take me a while, but I'm having fun. I'm going to admit, I'm having fun, and I, I'm really looking forward now to fall and uh, winter when the nighttime's long enough and gets dark early enough to go out and do some star shows. I'm really looking forward to taking some of those families out there, as many as I can. And I'll set up my, uh, my 10-inch, my 8-inch, and we'll do some uh, star shows and uh, check out the rings of Saturn and do other wonderful things out in God's beautiful, beautiful creation. So anyway, thanks for listening to the program today. Uh, unless uh, Phoenix burns down tonight, uh, Lord willing, we will be, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. And uh, hope you're blessed. We'll see you then. God bless. 